Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you people, the uh, the trade deadline's coming down in baseball. And uh, as a Phillies fan, this is, last few years have really sucked. I mean, when I was, before Joanna, before I started dating Joanna and was bi-coastal for that year and a half, I got to go see game. I went to see the games, and that was on their downslide. So I have not been able to see the Phillies going back east when I was going back east being good and now they're just awful and I'm sitting there and they play the Mets last night and I'm going now I know what Mets fans have felt like all these years it's August and there's no reason to watch it's like I sit there and I like the Dodgers but you can't watch the Dodgers on TV out here because you can't get the games and so it's just it, it really it really sucks I'm really I have to wait till football season until I enjoy something but enough about me and I don't know if my guest is a big sports fan we'll ask him uh, my guest is you're from Arizona originally right? yeah so yeah. it's my guest is Zach Selen so Hi. Are, are you are you are you a sports fan? Yeah, I'm not a Diamondbacks fan though at okay, all. Okay, who's your That's team? Your, I'm a I'm a you know I'm a Yankees guy when it comes to baseball because of my dad being from you know Long Island and he kind of said you're a Yankee guy and that sitter get the fuck out of my house. Can I curse on this show? Uh yeah. Well, that's, no, not try right. not to. No, okay, try not too many sure. f bombs. Anything but f bombs. No, well, all right, great. Um, <laughs> but it's all right. It's no big deal. Good it's start. But I good just, start. No, sorry, no, you can throw it out. It's okay. But that's a Yankee fan would say that they would say. There you go. Yeah. So you know, Yankees. You know, I like the Steelers because they didn't have an NFL team in Arizona when I was growing up. So I had to choose a cool looking team. So I was like, these guys are cool, you know. And they were winning when I was five. So I thought that was great. And then they've been terrible. They were terrible in the eighties, and you know, it came back around luckily. Uh, that's, you know, basketball, I, I'm an Arizona basketball freak, college basketball, that kind of stuff. But as far as the NBA goes, I just love it so much. That's my favorite sport by Oh, you're far. a big hoop fan? I, yeah, huge. See, I, that's also, it's funny you say that because being a Sixer fan, it's like the Sixers yeah. always, they always draft a guy, a big guy who's hurt. Yeah, it's like right. the last three years. Okay, we're going to draft you, and you're not going to play. Or we're right. going to draft you. You're going to do good for a season. Then we're going to trade you, and we're constantly going to suck. Like Evan Turner, right. they trade yeah, all the people exactly. they just trade. So, so now did you did you go to Arizona? Arizona. I actually Arizona? went to USC. Okay. I got out of U of A. Well, I went to you know grew up in Tucson, and I was like, I got to get out of this town. You now, know? were you? So I came out here. Were you perform? Like, I know you play guitar and you, and you act and you do. Were you doing that all as a kid? I mean, you're like do a lot of, you know, different things. Uh, did, as a kid, were you, were you an athlete or were you a musician? Or I what, thought what I was an athlete, you know, and then I got high. And then I was like, hey, this is a lot more fun, man, you know. <laughs> I remember I went to summer camp, like, thinking I was going to be the dominant, you know, basketball player there. And then they quickly saw that the hot girls were gravitating towards the dude playing Cat Stevens around right. the campfire. And I'm like, I'm picking up a guitar tomorrow. And I learned Wild World. And then, like, you know, within a year, it was like my whole life had changed. And I remember when I went to uh, – when I graduated high school, I had been in a bunch of plays in high school and things like that. And I always wanted to be an actor, you know. And that was my thing. When you were, In 1993, when I moved out here – you became an actor. Game, like hosting anything that was like, no, you don't do that. Musicians, eh, leave that to the real musicians of the world. And of course, the industry changed and you grow up and you see them to develop different things in your life. And then as I have, you know, I guess got older in this town, you start to say, oh, why wouldn't I host a TV show if I have the opportunity? Why wouldn't I make music if I know how to write songs and do something fun like that and use it into my advantage? So things change and also there's no work here for actors anymore man it's all in atlanta and vancouver right and north carolina and halifax now how, how did you pick usc <laughs> that was the only school that really took me back then you know you, isn't you at usc is <laughs> a hard school to get into though, not in 1993 okay see that was like a year after the riots they were like oh you you want to come here <laughs> yeah mr selwyn welcome can we give you a scholarship great what are you majoring in journalism terrific here's your dorm room you know, here's a basket full of condoms. Have a great freshman year. So you want you want journalism? Yeah, I majored in broadcast journalism because okay. my parents would not let me major in theater. So many, it's so funny. So many people say that. Like, it's so funny. I think if you major in theater, I actually think you have a better chance of getting a job than if you major in broadcast journalism. Well, yeah, especially now. Yeah, unless you go to Northwestern, you know. Right. Then, but it's so funny because people say so many people sit there and they rage that because their parents said we don't want you to be in theater. Right. And the bottom line, my degree is in business management. Doesn't right. make a difference anyway. College for me is when you go away, as you said, you get laid, you drink, you have fun, you learn about life, and you actually learn socially, not at the shells you were in high school, but you learn what the real world is going to be like. I always say in college, I majored in bong water. <laughs> You know, like that was basically what it went down. <laughs> See, that's funny because, you, you know, when we were in college, we smoked pot. But I went to college in New Jersey and the right. pot was really just weak. And every once in a while, someone would get think, hey, we got this California sense. Yeah. Oh, sense of me. Oh, and this is like in 1985. We're like, right. oh, California pot. And we'd smoke it and we go, oh, my God. 
we can't move. And then we go, give us the Jersey stuff because yeah. we don't feel like we're dead. That's but people it. out here, they grow up on that stuff and it's it's crazy. Yeah, I'm scared of it now. I mean, I you know, growing up in Tucson, that was very similar. It was like this Mexican swag we got, you know, coming from Nogales because I was grew up on the border, you know. So that was easy to get and like $100 for an ounce was no big deal. Then I got here and these guys are like, yo, Holmes, it's 60 bucks for an eighth. I was like, what? I'm not smoking <laughs> that. And then, I, you know, you immediately realize how much... I thought more fun it was, so you know. But those days are long gone. Well, that's good. You ish. Gonna, so yeah, ish. <laughs> so so you go to USC. Yeah. And now do you graduate? Yeah, I graduated okay. in four years, which was another thing my parents told me. They're like, you know, you want to go have fun, go have fun, but get good grades and get out of there. So you get out there with your uh, your degree in right. uh, broadcasting. I had spent my last couple of years there writing uh, scripts and short films and doing a lot of sketch comedy with local theater people there and filmmakers. And I went to SC kind of hoping to find the next big filmmakers and try to develop my career through a ground swell kind of capacity. And a lot of my old friends went on to very incredible success, you know, still working out there is as directors, as producers, a lot of guys went nowhere, but I wanted to, I knew I didn't want to go into like the news in West Virginia, you know, here's Zach Selwyn, I wanted to go into acting. I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to be a, a sketch guy. I wanted to get on SNL kind of thing. And um, I immediately got an agent and a manager, and I started auditioning in 1997. My God. And I uh, didn't really book anything for about a year, which is typical. So that first year was like that year of, what am I doing? And what was you your know? gig? Did you have a day job? I, I was a bar mitzvah DJ, my friend, and MC for seven years. Really? Yeah. I was the king of the Valley Bar Mitzvah. I DJed and emceed parties from like Beverly Hills to freaking like Thousand Oaks, man. So you you so you had money coming in. So you, yeah, yeah, and it was awesome. I worked one day a week. And back then this was before, you know, EDM and the Skrillex bull, you know, BS. It's kind of like, hey, we had CDs we had to lug, 400 pounds of equipment, huge speakers, set them up. And then we would have dancers come out. I would take the mic, go on the floor, lead a couple of horas, right. you know, <laughs> get grandma dancing, get a $100 tip and walk away and I'd make like a thousand bucks for a weekend. And when you're 22, you know, and that's a lot of money. And I, I didn't work the rest of the week, so I could audition, I could party, I could hang out, and, you know. Well, it's funny you say that about the uh, lugging him the stuff. <laughs> I went to my friend's son's eighth grade graduation, yeah. and I swear to God, there was this fat DJ, <laughs> and he's sitting there, and he's like, I go, you know any 80s music? Because, like, no one's, I'm like, he's playing right. this, like, this crap. And I go, and it's like, it's not like, it's, it's weird, because he would go from playing, like, Jimi Hendrix, which I love, to, like, yeah. some crap. Nice segue, yeah. Hendrix yeah. to, yeah. to Avicii. Yeah, it was a crazy. You and know? all the guy was doing was eating because they just <laughs> they just put it on their iTunes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, I said to my buddy, I said, man, you could have given me 200 bucks. I would have just sat there and put a playlist together for yeah, you. Yeah, we used to have to beat mix, like mix the CDs perfectly. I mean, in CDs, you know, like we would have to buy one CD for one song. We were spending fifteen, sixteen dollars right. to get the new hit. I mean, it was a, lo- it was just a whole different game. And that whole world now, I still have friends who work in that world. It has changed immensely. I mean, we, but there were guys I knew making six figures, you know, in that world. Now they're like barely scraping by. So I mean, another one of those businesses. It well, just, it's like the first guy who bought the bouncy castles was making right. bank, but then all of a sudden, everyone started getting. You can rent one for like. Then yeah. like, I'll make it five hundred to rent it. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm making seventy. You know, it's like crazy. <laughs> right. So so you you're sitting there, you're DJing, so you have income coming in, but you're yeah. getting out and you're auditioning. Yeah. And so and now did, was it hard for you to find an agent, or did you stop? I right into lucked it? right into it. I mean, I had this tape I made in college of a bunch of sketch comedy stuff. And amazingly, I moved into this duplex above this makeup artist. God, this is so long ago. She had a girl who was, uh, she was making up people on a show called, uh, it was the one with Nikki Cox and Kevin, the kid E from yeah, Entourage. Uh, happily Ever After. Happily Ever After. So she was the makeup artist on that. Now she brought my tape to the manager of this little like hot blonde who was on the show named something Keller, Deborah Keller. And that manager saw my tape, called me in. She was with Howard Lapidus, who was a guy who repped Carson Daly, uh, Kimmel, um, Corolla, Mike McDonald from Mad TV, a whole bunch of great comedic people. This is before Kimmel and, and the, before the man show. Right. And so I walked into this office and I was kind of like goofing around, having fun. And I think I remember Corolla being in there. And I used to do like an Adam Corolla impersonation from Loveline. And I kind of did it for him. And he thought it was funny. And they were like, you know what? We should, we should work with this guy. And I was like, oh, my God. I got a manager. And then that led to I got with this crazy like legendary agent named Iris Burton. She represented every child star from like River Phoenix to 
you know, the Feldman kids and the Corys and, and that was her thing. You know, she always had these, these kids and she took me on and, you know, she dropped me a year later, (laughs) but that was it. I did have that in, you know, and I auditioned for high school stuff, but I looked like I was 25 when I was 22 and I didn't really, you know. I had a couple of things, but it's funny the age thing because you say it because yeah. like last night we were watching uh, Major Crimes and Luke Perry is on. Oh my boy, he's like forty eight. Wow. So, but you think he played a high school guy like twenty years ago when he was like twenty eight? He's playing a high school Look, kid. Bren, <laughs> I don't need a mother right now. So, Dylan, sorry, well, big, no, big nine hundred two and zero fan. Okay. Were you really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's no because I mean that's that's cool though. You, did you ever get an audition for that? No, I was an extra on it once though. Was that cool? Oh, it was awesome. I was in the Peach Pit. Yeah, Priestley was there. I wanted to like ask him about his hair. He didn't get hair, a chance. Oh man! So, so you're doing that? So no, you're, 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 no, it's funny because I people you don't find a lot of people that love Beverly Hills. Oh, it's my favorite. Is it your, like, one of your oh, favorite shows my ever? Favorite show. What did you love about it? What, what I don't you? know. It was my age. It was my like time. It was my high school. It was at the exact same time as them. I just loved it, and I studied that show for many years. You know, and I don't know. I just thought those guys were so cool when I was like 14 and 15. I was like, I want to be Dylan McKay, man. <laughs> I want to drive a you know Corvette and sleep with hot blondes at a hotel in, in Hollywood, you know. <laughs> and then you see the hotels in Hollywood, you go, no. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then I come here. I'm like, this is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so, but as you're doing, as you're acting, are you still playing guitar? Are you still? Or, yeah, I always, I, I absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I never took my songwriting seriously uh, or anything until you know my had some friends who were in bands in Hollywood and I spent a lot of my 20s with a lot of friends who became rock stars and guys like dudes in the band Matchbox 20 were friends of mine and I actually used to hang out with the dudes in InSync and you know I had a lot of friends who were very talented playing around town and they would often bring me on stage to rap or like do like a stupid freestyle rap which I'm pretty good at doing and so I would get on stage and I would do this and all of a sudden it was like people were there going hey you should put out a record and I was like, well, okay. So I made like some jokey songs thinking I might have like a, an Eminem-like career. And I actually had a little record deal at one point through that. And that fell apart. And, you know, story after story. But it ended up that eventually I was like, I want to combine country music and hip-hop music. And I tried doing that for a long time. I still do. And so, I mean, I still have my band and we still record. We're putting out new music and all that. But it all started, again, from just being a performer and getting on stage and doing whatever I could to be a ham. You know, I was a total ham in my 20s. Well, it's funny because, you, you know, I looked at your resume and stuff like that, and uh, you have you you have so many different fields going. So yeah, it's like this is, It's, it's a hard interview because it's like, okay, he acted, he acted. But uh, but so you're, you're doing, you know, you're doing the uh, act. What was your first about? You were in Chicago Hope. That was your yes, first Yes, Chicago Hope got me my SAG card. Yeah. Now, now did you, you were a paramedic in there. Yeah, right? six now, episodes. Now, was that cool? It was awesome. Because was that, was that when Peter Berg was still on it? Yeah, or? Peter Berg was on. Mandy uh, Patinkin. Mandy Pat- I never met Mandy Patinkin. I wanted to meet him because I'm a you know princess bride, my God. Uh, and he's just an incredible He's guy. got an amazing voice, too. Oh, he's amazing. He, when he sings, you're like, wow. He's incredible. Who else was on? Uh, Thomas Gibson. Adam, Adam Arkin. Yes, the main, great actor. Him and Mark Harmon was on it. Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon was on Chicago Hope? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. And, yeah. and then uh, Thomas Gibson, who the guy constantly works. Yeah, I remember him. Like, he's always in something. He's yeah. in Criminal Minds now. And then wow. he's in Dharma and Greg. And it's like, oh, yeah, he was a series, the series, guy. the series. So was that cool for you being your first big was, production and getting your sidecar? Were you very excited? Yeah, it was really, I thought it was like, you know, the break. I was like, you know, I'm going to write a spinoff episode about a paramedic and I'm going to play the guy and I'm going to pitch it. <laughs> you know, you have all these dreams. And I probably spent like hours writing that episode. Never got anywhere with it, but. But it seems like you always stayed creative, though. You always were working That's on the craft, it. even if it was That's a it. song or something like that. And uh, so now when did the hosting start coming in? Now, did you – did you? I know you were on the MTV show. I mean, uh, ESPN show. Right. Now, did you want to be a host when that came <laughs> out, or did you sit there and go – Here's the funny story about that. Because you had a big beard then, didn't you? Yeah, had a big beard and long curly hair. I looked like Lindsey Buckingham from right. Fleetwood Mac, and that doesn't fly on ESPN. But uh, <laughs> it was funny because when I, I was doing a sketch comedy show in Hollywood – uh, it was called Another Showcase Showdown. We were doing really well. And one of my characters was a sportscaster who couldn't quite leave his personality in the booth. So he would come home and be like, and what is his wife made for dinner? Mashed potatoes rejected by Shotsky. Not going to eat that tonight. And that's the third meal in a row he is denying from his wife, which means she might deny the sex this evening. You know. Doing Marv Albert kind of right, stuff right. like <laughs> that. So I don't know. I would just riff at the dinner table and I had, you know. And so this character, I said to myself when I saw this open audition for Dream Job, it was called ESPN. I saw a crawler 
on the TV. It said, hey, come audition to be in this Sports Center reality show. And I said, I'm going to go in as this character. So I wanted to go in as a character and make, like, the bloopers real. That's all I wanted to do. And when I went in on this open call, I was actually in San Francisco when I went in on the call. And uh, the casting director guy was like, hey, man, you're funny. Can you do this without the stupid accent? You know, the Marv Albert thing. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I tried doing it. And all of a sudden I was like, and David Ortiz takes that one deep. And all of a sudden they're like, you're really good. Come back tomorrow for a second interview. So then I went in on that. Within like a week, they had called me to go to the final like 500. Then it was the final 100 in New York. And from that final 100, they chose 10. Now they flying you around? No, or? I had to get myself okay. everywhere. So I flew myself to New York and uh, got out there, went to this audition in Times Square with all these guys who were like wearing suits and ties. And I show up looking like Graham Parsons. You know, I'm wearing like a nudie suit. And, right. You know, that was like my shtick. I was like in a country band. I was like, I don't really want to do this. But hey, I'm good at it. Let's see how far I can take it. And I ended up, it was like the runner-up on the show, man. I mean, it changed my life. It really did, because I didn't expect anything to come from that. Did they tell you to cut your hair? Yeah, I did. You know, I trimmed my hair, and then, you know, that was it. They were like, great, you're fine. You have a mullet like Barry Melrose now. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Melrose's hair still, it still hasn't changed. I sit there, I was like, because there was a guy who announced the World Cup, an English soccer guy. I think his name was Steve O'Sullivan. And he was like the Barry Melrose to soccer, because they had the same. And I'm like, dude, come on. It's not, you know, you're not Night Ranger. You know, like, get rid of the the hair. You're not Night Ranger. You're You're not not Lover Boy. Yeah, you're not, you're not whatever his name is, Ricky Blades. So, so you do that. They do that. that, They, well, they immediately call me after I lost that and the, now, who was the guy who won? The guy who won is a guy named Mike Hall, who is on the Big Ten Network now. So okay. he's based in Chicago. He's also a sketch comedian guy. Like, he's trying to do that as well. Uh, we keep in touch here and there. Um, he won. The, the guy who was the other runner-up is this guy, Aaron Levine, who's like the main sports guy in Seattle. Okay. On Q103 or something. But he's a really big Seattle presence. He'll have a future in sports broadcasting on a higher scale, I think. And then I became the guy that they were like, hey, we want you to take over around the horn. Which now was that when around? I know originally around the horn was hosted by Max Keller, right? And then he left to do I Am Max, which just right, Dale. That's right, just died. That's like, and then he took like Michael Holly left and went yeah over there. Yeah. Now you never see Michael Holly again. No, I don't know what happened to Michael so, Holly. So after after Kellerman left, they wanted you to they bring in Tony Reale, and everyone likes Tony, and he's still there, you know. But then they gave him like a week vacation, and they're like Zach Selwyn's going to fill in for you. And I went in there, and Kornheiser come. Tony Kornheiser was like, look, man. You have the potential to take over this show. I know that they're sort of like wishy-washy on reality. They think you have potential to be the next around the horn host. Meanwhile, let me tell you something about my sports knowledge, dude, in all honesty. I like sports. I love sports. I am certainly not ESPN caliber sports guy. I mean, if you work at ESPN, you are waking up in the morning and reading the, like, WNBA stat lines, you know. And I was, like, waking up in the morning with a hangover. Like going, oh, Ryan Adams is playing. Oh, man, I got to go see that tonight, you know. So I was much more like, you know, if you're a sports guy, you need to be 100% sports guy. It's kind of why Dennis Miller didn't work in the Monday Night Football booth. So when I did the Around the Horn thing, I kind of came in with a little bit of a comedic slant to it. I tried to make it my own. I tried to make it a funny thing, and that doesn't fly on ESPN either. Sarcasm. Like I think I made a point on the show that I thought Michael Jordan had a much better baseball career than a basketball career. And they're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Hey, you know? how, do you, how, do you the, how do you figure out the points? You just If you want to give it to someone? I, yeah, you get to do the points. That's tough because you, you have to hit these buttons. And uh, they wanted you to – they encourage you to give a lot of points. But you're thinking about everything that you want to say. You're talking to these guys. You're trying to match them wit for wit. And you're trying to reward points. So it was very tricky. And by day four, I really – I thought I had it down. And I thought I had a great week there. But – Ultimately, Reale was much better for the job, and he's incredibly funny and still there. You know? Now, I know you did uh, some stuff with Kornheiser. Yeah. Now, it, what was that like? I love Tony oh, Kornheiser. Oh, he's awesome. He's he the best. Tony brought me on PTI, which was amazing. I got to read the mail, and that like did more for my career than anything. And everyone's like, come read the mail on my show. Really? It was incredible. And then, you know, he just really took a shine to me. I don't know. He's a really nice guy. We don't really keep in touch much anymore. I wonder if he's aware of what I'm doing now, but... He was, you know, he'd give me his books to read and give me advice, take me to dinner, you know. Really nice guy, man. A wonderful guy. Now, were you living back there then? or No, I, I, that, was, that all shoots in D.C. So, okay. again, I was doing the show in D.C. They put me up in a hotel. I didn't know one person in the city. So we would wrap that show at, like, 3 maybe. And then from, like, 4, it would air at, I think, 6 on the East Coast. So from 4 o'clock until 8 a.m. the next morning, I had nothing to do. 
And I've been to Washington. I didn't need to go sightseeing anymore. I didn't have any friends there. So I would just kind of sit in the sports bar and talk to people. It was really a lonely week, to tell you the truth. But, uh, you know, great experience. Yeah, <laughs> from that, you got the uh, the dodgeball show, right? Or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Extreme Dodgeball came out. Yeah. Now, that's weird. Is now, did they say, did they contact you? Because it's so weird to think that actually there was a dodgeball. Like, looking yeah. back at it now, to think that, I guess dodgeball was really big. I don't, I when I was in fourth grade, it was really big. Right. But, I mean, it must have been weird. And just for you, because you really weren't a huge sports fan. And for you sitting there going, you you got this gig from being as a joke character. Because you said, you know, you're well, What happened was I was definitely, I went in not as a, when I say I'm not a huge sports fan, I mean, I wasn't like an ESPN right. caliber guy. I was certainly, a, I am a huge sports guy. I still am. But when I went in on that audition, I didn't have the knowledge that I, you know, certainly had to learn about real quickly, you know, so within like a couple minutes, I was studying the, you know, NCAA tournament, I had my, you know, NFL mini camp, like lineups picked out, I was, you know, so you start your baseball squads keep developing, and you, you start thinking in that mentality. So when I got the dodgeball thing, that was after dream job, they brought me in Mark Cronin over at 51 Mines and James Rowley, when they were working together. They were doing that show, and they had Bill Dwyer cast. I don't know if you know Bill. Yeah, Bill's been on a few times. Yeah, Bill's awesome. So Bill's, Bill Bill's a, he's he's so, so great. He has his own sense of humor. He's yeah. out. He's out there. He, yeah. I you know I worked with him. I did a gig with him a while ago, and I never. I just known him from the show. I never really did stand up with him, and he was on stage, and I was just dying. Oh, he's amazing because he's just he he shifts gears, and he just <laughs> he's saying stuff, and I think because the way he looks, he can get away with it because right. he has the, and this, at this point he had like a, a little mustache. He looked like a cop. <laughs> and he's doing this stuff, and you're going, God, that's just funny. Hey, me and my wife, we, uh, yeah, what do we do? We take out matching life insurance policies against each other. Uh-huh. Uh, so now it's just a waiting game. What do you <laughs> so, think? That's a pretty that's, good build-wire, huh? So you did it you did the, with him. Yeah, I had to audition for that show. I remember I went in, and uh, that was like, I, I thought there was no chance I'm going to get this. You know, I was going up against a lot of comics. There were a lot of guys that I really looked up to can stand up guys who I've been watching since I was in high school who were on that audition and I wrote all this great dialogue and funny jokes for it and then they gave me the part which was awesome but it didn't hurt that I was coming off dream job with a little bit of a following so that that did three seasons though it was a great show I mean crazy Mario Lopez was like he couldn't get arrested and he was like a celebrity captain on that show you know so funny at the time the best story though Rip Torn your, everyone's favorite drunk bank robber. Oh, yeah. He, uh... <laughs> See, it's funny. I know that. A lot of people know that story. I know that story, and it's crazy because right. whenever you hear these stories, well, first of all, you think like, you know, Rip Torn comes from the generation like when, when Nicholson and all yeah. those guys, it, it, you know, they just bounce to a different drum. And I know we've all been drunk. And the thing you think is, though, I've never thought of robbing a bank. when I'm, I, I never like walked in. I never, sh- I mean, I did shoplift when I was younger. I, right. We used to steal burritos from 7-Eleven or whatever. But I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, Rip Torn, <laughs> he showed up at uh, our set. I think they paid him some ungodly amount to be the commissioner of season three because he was in the movie Dodgeball. So it'd be fun to have him on the show and Rip Torn will do anything for money. And he showed up completely hammered. Every day? Or well, he was only there for one day. Okay. And I remember they had an IFB in my ear, and they're like, hey, we want you to tell Rip to, like, I want, they want you to take a bite out of the bowl of fruit he has in front of him, and then you, he's going to knock it out of your hand. Can you direct him? And I go, hey, so, Mr. Torn, what's going to happen is I'm going to grab an apple, and you're going to hit it. And he looks at me, and he goes, I don't take direction from fucking actors. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dear God. <laughs> I mean, oh, it, my God. It, 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 that must suck. Oh, I was like, well, Rip Torn hates me. Luckily, he's drunk. He won't remember. He won't, yeah, he won't remember. Yeah. <laughs> so you did that. So after that got canceled, you, you figured you still want to go around the uh, the hosting. Did you start jumping? I mean, look, I've been at this point, I had a lot of opportunities again as an actor, and I got a few parts here and there. But like, What were some of your parts? Well, I mean, I did uh, like a part on the 70s show. I, I did a movie called Tenure with Luke Wilson and David Koechner. Um, I was on... I don't know, a bunch of like, I did a couple pilots that went nowhere. But, you know, it was sort of like few and far between. Um, I was in a great movie called Dead and Breakfast, like a horror spoof movie. And, you know, you just get these little tiny parts. And then all of a sudden I'd get a hosting opportunity that would actually pay me. And they would employ me for three or four months. And I'm like, well, of course, you know, what am I going to do? Go back to the bar mitzvah circuit? I mean, I got to run with what I got. So all of a sudden I was, you know 
primarily working in this TV hosting department. You now, did you enjoy it? I mean, did you enjoy the hosting? I, at or first, I was very reluctant to get into it, but then I got on um, a show on G4 called Attack of the Show, which they let me do sketch comedy. So all of a sudden, I was writing and performing my own sketches, and they're all online, which are really fun to watch. But, like, I got to finally do that sort of, like, SNL sort of thing on this channel. Unfortunately, not many people watch this channel. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it was watched, but it wasn't, like... Well, it's hard to find, too. Some of these, yeah, you know, yeah. and when you get these cable, and now it's even worse. I mean, we just switched from Charter to Uverse. Right. And... I mean, we've had it for like three weeks. I still have to pick up the yeah. thing and look out because there's so many channels. Yeah, and you, you sit there and you go, do it. Is this an HD? Then they have the wrong number down. I'm sitting there like, I want to watch <laughs> AMC. I'm like, it's 1126 for HD. And then like, and then you put a guy, oh, it's 119. Well, thanks for, you know. So then G4 was just, and was, it was, I think it's probably bigger now. G4, I don't even think it exists anymore. Oh, really? it's, they're still showing reruns of like Web Soup with Hardwick from like five years ago, you know, which is like their Tosh.0 or whatever from all those years ago. So, they're not making anything new. There's no production going on at G4. It's interesting. Well, when, they, they show cops and like reruns of video game shows. Now, when you got to write the sketches, so did they? Did you have to go through anyone, or did you say, "Here's my sketch"? Or was there like a, a it was very a, few a hierarchy, people. or was there it just was, you could say, "I want to write this." Here's what it. we're doing, and they said, "Okay." Uh, yeah, I said, "I want to write this sketch. I want to shoot it in the office." I got my brother, who's a very talented director, to come in and direct them and edit them. And they put them on the air. And ultimately, it's not like they had to pay me anymore to do them. I was doing anything I could. And I was under a contract there. So everything I did kind of went under that umbrella. And uh, they'd be a minute and a half long. You know, like, what's this? That's a minute and a half of our budget. Big deal. Give it to Zach. And I built this great I mean, the amount of stuff we did was incredible. You know? Like, what were some of the ideas you'd have? I mean, where, well, we where did, would you? I don't know. Like, there's, if you go online and you watch one called Vodka in a Stapler, you know, kind of like the way to get through an alcoholic morning at the uh, office. We did that one. We did one about a guy who was like a vinyl indie freak who created, and instead of the new like iPod, he had an iVinyl, like a portable record player that he could take to the gym. We did one called Porno Fireplace about a couple that buys a house, and then the guy's buddies come over and notice that the house is a former porn set. You know, and we got Ron Jeremy in that one. Okay. And, you know, so we get all these things, and then, you know, they would put them up on, on the shows, and they did pretty well. Now, we did one Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Usher. Okay, that was fun. I played David Crosby, a lifelong dream. That's <laughs> nice. Did you get? Were you, were you a young Crosby or a bloated old Crosby? Bloated old Crosby. Did they put of course. The, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So, <laughs> but after, so you're doing that. So and now I know the music. Now you recorded stuff with Fergie. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, yeah. Now, now how did that come about? And that was that was back. That was a while. Remember back I told up. you about the rap stuff. Like when I was doing this rap stuff. She again another person who couldn't find a, an avenue in this town. She had left Wild Orchid, the band she was in, and I met her through the InSync guys, and then this other guy who had given me that record. Well, how did you know the InSync guys? I mean, how do you Just, meet, were they were they big then already? Or were yeah, they, they were they were like a joke. Boy, ba- they were huge, the biggest band in, in the but, world. I mean, so it was when but, they were big, you met yeah, them. Yeah, they just didn't have any respect. It was kind of like tweens loved them, but the rest of the world was like, what a bunch of idiots, you know. And then of course, you know, but they got one of the guys in the band and one of the DJs that I worked with were best friends growing up. So there you go. So he was like, hey, this friend, my friend's band's coming to town. You guys want to go to the show? We're like, yeah, sure. Can we get backstage? Is there an open bar? Yeah. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> you know? And then that turns into friendship, I guess, in Hollywood. And Anyway. So I met Fergie. Her name was just Stacy Ferguson back then. And uh, she sang on a couple songs. She sang on some, some stuff I put out. And then uh, she was really sweet. And then all of a sudden she's like, hey, Zach, I joined the Black Eyed Peas. I was like, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> and then like a year later, I was running to her song on the treadmill going, what the hell? I had the perfect window, you know. Now, now when you would write the songs, there were more parodies. Nah, that stuff's beginning- all serious. The, the, the first parody song that I wrote that was a hit was Cartoons I'd Like to F. Okay. Now, did she, is, did she uh, sing on that? No, she's not on that. She sang on a couple serious songs. And the Wikipedia songs is wrong because it says she sang on that. Oh, really? Oh, no. She, you know what? Uh, that's the name of the album that she, the song is on. Okay. There you go. Yeah, she did a song called Other Side. And then I put her on my first country album. She sang on that. It was awesome. I mean, it was great. She's incredible talent, man. I just can't get her on the phone anymore. You know? yeah, well, as a kid, <laughs> well, as a kid, because you said this country album, what, what, were you, what music did you listen oh. to? Like, as your kid into high school, were you very eclectic in your in Yeah, your real, a lot of hip-hop, a lot of, you know, Beastie Boys, old-school rap stuff, and then a lot of su- Southern California, Laurel Canyon CSN, Jackson Brown, Eagles, J.D. Souther, Warren Zevon. This was the stuff that my parents played for me growing up. Even as cheesy as it sounds, the Urban Cowboy soundtrack 
you know, when I was like six, I was dancing around to looking for love. Right. And my mom's like, what's wrong with this kid? <laughs> then I got into like Guy Clark and Willie and Johnny and Waylon and, and Graham Parsons and Little Feet and, you know, all these bands that are Cal sort of California and Texas based musicians. And, you know, that influenced what I sing and write today. And uh, the hip hop stuff is very much a part of my, you know, especially if there's any one or two artists, the Beastie Boys and like Slick Rick, De La Soul. De La Soul was good. They're still around. They're, they were always great. It's so yeah. funny. Those, even like, I remember when the Beastie Boys came out, yeah. everyone was like, you know, wow. And I was a little, I mean, I guess I was a little older, but we were like, wow. And I remember they said how when they go on tour, they would sit there and they had a guy who they pay like minimum wage and his job title was trim coordinator. And he would just <laughs> sit there and he had like, backstage passes and he'd just walk around the crowd and you know he got the perks of like getting their leftovers and drinking and partying but he would just see cute girls and he'd Trim go Trim that, that was a that was a title well, they caught they were like looking at what zeppelin and van halen did I yeah think. it's crazy when that when those guys came out in 1986 all of us on the playground were like oh my god this is the best they're first of all they're white which means you can be white and rap which we all loved two they were jews which for me was like it was like a, a sky opened up. It was like, hey, the sky's a limit now, man. I can do anything I want. If there's white rapping Jewish people who are making a lot of money, I can do whatever I want in life. And I remember being in summer camp, Jewish summer camp, and the Beastie Boys are being worshipped there. And so, again, it goes back to me covering Paul Revere at the talent show or something and having girls all of a sudden look at me and I was like, I know what I'm doing with my life. And that's really... I'm sure a lot of people in entertainment start out that way. You know, well, they all do. You know, first I, look you get from a girl when you're like, <laughs> now, now, did did you ever have? Did you have stage fright when you started out, or were you just yeah, did you just say well, I can go on? Or because so many people, like with comedy, with stand up, you know, in the beginning, I remember I would do it. and I'm like, I would be nervous, and I remember an older comic saying, "Yeah, there'll be one day where you're, you're not." Right, and I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." And then you know, you go on stage in front of a full house, and you're not nervous but i mean were you were you terrified a few times when you started out or yeah absolutely i mean the first time i played guitar on stage i was terrified the first time i played i did stand up you know which i, I don't really do much uh that was I, I still that's one thing i can never really get over because you know i just haven't done it enough but every time you get on the stage like you can do your confident bits and get through it but you know i think every comedian you always see people at, at comedy clubs sitting around like kind of pacing looking at their act i mean right no matter how comfortable you are there's still that butterflies oh yeah a little bit i mean that, but you learn to use it to your advantage you I gotta think. learn yeah exactly and that at this point after you've performed long enough i think you know i'm definitely there but i mean it's certainly many times i had to drink myself on stage you know what i mean now are you self-taught guitar yeah okay so you just i'm not a great i mean i'm a strummer you know what i mean like i I don't really noodle or solo or anything. Now, where do you get the ideas for your song? I mean, did it, I mean, because it's like you know, first of all, and your your spectrum is so big where you did hip hop and then yeah. you do country and right. then you do parodies. I, I mean, know. where do you come up know. with them? Do you sit there and do you go in moods like you say, okay, I'm going to do this, and then all of a sudden you're doing this for a while and you go, oh, I'm bored. I'm going to, I'm going exactly to play how this. My whole life is it's very strange. I get bored very easily, and I don't know why I can't stick with like one thing for a long period of time. I sort of like, for instance, yesterday I wrote a song called don't log on to webmd looking for an answer you know basically based on the fact that every time you get an ingrown hair and you look up on your arm what it could be and it's like this could be you know early stage carcinoma <laughs> whatever carcinoma i don't even know if that's a word and uh yeah so i wrote a whole song about all these things that we think are diseases and how webmd like you just don't want to go to the real doctor so you go there and so that's a funny little spoof i did a demo of it on my computer i haven't like released it or anything i mean i might you know, someday. But then I just kind of cast it aside. And today I woke up and I'm like, well, I'm done with that. There are artists I know who will spend weeks on one song, continuously rewriting it and getting it better and getting it better. I think I'm much more of an idea person where I like to throw it out there and move on, which, you know, is a blessing and a curse to tell you the truth. You know? Well, I mean, I think it's anything. You, if it's good, you get bored. I think most people, it's you don't want to get bored, but it's like, I think it's all a form of, you know, ADD and you know we're too old to sit there and they can't say oh you have an old ADD I mean we all anyone who's creative had ADD as a kid yeah I mean let's get real we didn't sit there and we wouldn't sit there and focus I mean even you're reading something it's like yeah okay I'm reading some great article in LA magazine about this teacher in Pasadena who something and I'm like oh okay well okay this is sort of boring me okay well I, I want to get the good parts and I think <laughs> yeah. anyone who's creative does that yeah I think so I mean it's certainly the people I know you know, you read a book and all of a sudden you realize you just read three paragraphs and you don't remember one word you just read. 
because you were thinking about something else you wanted to do. That's how my mind works anyway. And uh, some days I feel like I want to be, I want to wake up and write Jackson Brown-like songs. And some days I want to wake up and write a stupid rap parody. And some days I wake up and I want to write a novel. You know, it's just like my whole mind shifts and runs around like that. And I guess that's why I do so many different things, you know. Now, are you comfortable with your voice when you sing? Yeah. Do you like your voice? Yeah. You know, I mean, it helps to have monitors. <laughs> right. That's for sure. Yeah. So how do you know O'Sullivan? Wow. Well, he and my wife did a play together called Fluffy Bunnies in a Field of Daisies. Patrick has like when you look at Patrick's work, he has like he's in the weirdest projects. Yeah. It's like it's like the walk in and this but you're like right. it's like you tell and, and he knows everybody. Oh, he does point break live, right? Yeah. He, uh, he, it's he, funny because I went he did down. it, but he, he I saw some personal face. It happened a few weeks ago, but he wasn't in it. And someone wrote, "Oh, we went to see it." He goes, "Oh, thanks." Uh, yeah, I'm not, not in. that I'm not in it, right? <laughs> I went when that was downtown at this old crappy little bar in like 2007. G4 sent me there with the hopes that I would get chosen to play Johnny Utah because that's the bit is that like they choose someone out of the crowd to play whoa, you know, Keanu Reeves' character, and I got chosen. So we have this video of me. I performed the whole play as Johnny Utah, and he wasn't in it then. So I had a little. That's my story about Point Break Live. Is I got to be in it like all those years ago. So what did they did they give you the script or how'd that work? Or they just... uh, they kind of like feed you lines. Like you're sitting there and they're like, say, you know, via con Dios, Bodie. You now, know, did so anyone you go, via con Dios, Bodie? Did you anyone know? recognize you? Is that thing maybe? Well, I had a mic. It? I had a mic pack on. Okay, so that's... And everyone was like, "This was fixed." And I'm like, "No, it really wasn't." <laughs> You're like, "I didn't plan this." <laughs> so, so your wife and your wife is an actress. Yeah, she was. I mean, she doesn't really act much anymore. She's sort of, uh, you know, she didn't. Have, I don't think she like you talk about desire and drive and that sort of thing. It's like, I think there's people who can do this their whole lives, and I think there's people who do it for a fleeting amount of time and maybe move on to something else and. She's into the more production side of things now. Okay. So, and then she did a play with Patrick. So you She's met in the Patrick, play, right? And so they, I met Patrick through uh, through her, and then he actually was producing another weird thing he did. He did a, a Lenny Bruce doc. I saw it. Yeah. And he, I, my stepfather, is a huge Lenny Bruce fan, and so I was like, oh, you got to get him in the in the uh, documentary. And so <laughs> he put him in it. Like he came and interviewed us, mainly my stepfather, who like you know did Lenny Bruce routines around the house for me growing up. And so he was in it. But it was pretty funny when he came over that time. And then I've seen him on TV a bunch. He's doing well. So like, do you, do you still hang out with like Hollywood guys, or are you more away from the circuit? Because, I mean, it's, I think after the time, after in this business for a long time, it's like some of your friends become stars, some right. don't. And I think you know, some of them, I think, get jaded. I mean, like, would you, do you, like, if you hang out and just say you go watch a ball game, you're a big NBA fan. Yeah. Let's say you want to go watch a ball game. Do you call a few friends and hey, let's go watch a ball game? I mean, I have friends who are very talented who have never gotten anywhere. And I have friends who are talented and who are stars, like you said. I also have a lot of family here. Like, I would probably call my brother, who's in, like, graphic design, call my uh, brother-in-law or my, my other brother who's a director, my brother-in-law who's a musician. The guys I know who are sort of, like, making it and doing real well in the acting and entertainment world are sort of, they got their own crew now, you know? Like, you just don't really get, uh, you know, Jeremy Renner on the phone anymore, right. you know? It's kind of like, oh, all right, buddy. Have fun with at Downey Jr.'s house. If you want, you know, I got a taco truck yeah. at an eight-year-old birthday here <laughs> in Hollywood, buddy. Come on by. So, <laughs> or you can have the live lobster Downey Jr. had flown in from Alaska this right. morning. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah. we, we can get the, that habit pull-up truck. Mm -hmm. or, you know. We got the habit. You have Halifaxian, you know, crustaceans. <laughs> flown in by hell on Iron Man in Iron Man's suit exactly. this morning. So so okay, what is, what was Fanarchy? Fanarchy was a very short lived show on the Versus Network, which was I don't even know if that's still around. Versus no became now it's uh, NBC Sports. There you go. Wow, really? Because I I, I I used to watch hockey on Versus. And okay, yeah, they were a big hockey. Versus network. disappeared, and but it was the same thing. So I was like, wow, Versus about the NBC Sports. The sports thing that started for me on ESPN has continued to employ me from time to time, and this was like an around the horn with webcams, and so it was me in a studio talking to five like super fans around the country, and I would choose to eliminate who I wanted to based on their arguments. It was kind of fun. Didn't go more than a season. Um, it was after Sports Soup, which was cool. Got to know Matt Eisman through that. Matt was on a few weeks ago. Yeah, he's yeah. great. Good guy. He was on my show, my Secret Slang show, too. We just had him on as a expert for 
horse racing slang, which, you know. Is he an expert? or No, but, you know, we made him look like one. You know. <laughs> but then also you hosted the Guinness, uh, Guinness Book World Records going well. Now, we, I don't know, but when you were a kid, did you read? The oh, Gu- of course. Because when I was a kid, that was a big thing. Like, big you time. got that book and you read it and you went, oh, my God, this person has the longest fingernails. Right. Or, like, stuff that you wouldn't, you know. And I did that for a while in my act when I was fooling around out here. I was like, I go up and I write a joke and someone's like, why do you carry this stupid Guinness book? I'm like, because this stuff's just funny. Yeah. Like, people do it. I mean, so you were a big fan as a kid then. Sure. I mean, everyone had that. You'd pass it around the bus and talk about all the funny things, the fat twins on the motor scooters. and <laughs> I mean, the Guinness World Records book is the one of the greatest books. I mean, it's still like one of the highest selling books every year. You know, it's probably close to the Bible now in like amount of sales. Probably, probably not. No, I but, think uh, it probably is pretty close. <laughs> it hasn't made any reproduction. That's right. It's not in so many different languages. Yeah, not as many printings and not as many languages. The funny thing about that show is that it's they've tried that show a lot on TV. It did really well the first season on True TV that I hosted. And now, what was the concept of it? Basically, extraordinary uh, accomplishments by ordinary human beings. And we'd go into a big hangar in Santa Monica Airport. Dan Cortez, Cortese, excuse me, Dan, uh, the floor guy, he would be monitoring the challenge so i would be the kind of john henson on wipeout color commentator with the funny little snarky quip about what was going on so again play by play kind of stuff like that and you know that was it it was really fun it was an hour long and then the second season they did 13 maybe and it just didn't catch on i think i don't know what happened i think it sort of was a fun show the first round and then the second round it was kind of like all right how many records how many times can we watch a guy eat uh twinkies right you know or as we had to call them golden sponge filled cakes oh because we are... couldn't clear twinkies. see that that's 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 bullcrap yeah welcome to tv you know, I know. What I mean? <laughs> so you're doing the hosting now now what you said america's what is america's secret slang that is a show I uh, I am on right now. It's um, on the History Channel on H2, which is the History 2 channel, but it reruns on history like crazy. And it's basically the history of slang language throughout America and our, you know, words and phrases that we say all the time that we don't really know where they come from. And we did the first season, um, did really well. But what's hours. the format? Let's say The format okay. is I walk around and go to different places in the world to find out why we say things like, Redneck. So now, I go to the south. Do they? Do you actually get sent there? Yes. Okay, so where have you been sent? It's been awesome. Oh, man, I've been to all over, like, New Orleans, Jackson, Mississippi, Nashville, Virginia, the Manassas Battlefield, D.C., New York, um, all up and down California, wine country, gold rush country, surf. Are you a slang. geographical buff? Do you love that stuff? Do you love I the love traveling? It. I love it. I mean, you know, when you're married with two kids, three days off or to go to work is, like, the greatest thing in your life. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, I'm just packing in here, honey, you know, getting ready to go. But it's great because you go out and I would go and I do man on the street with people and ask them, where do you think the word, where do you think the phrase three sheets to the wind comes from? And people would be like, oh, that's because we used to hang our sheets in the wind to dry. And when you're drunk, it looks like you in the sheet, you know, you're hanging like a sheet. No, that's not right. So you actually ask people who right. have no clue. So so it's not it's not scripted. So they sit there, and you must get some really weird weird things. Yeah, we get some great answers, and it's so the, I, what we do is we take those answers. I make some funny comment about it or whatever, and then I explain where it really came from, including moments where I ask experts on language and slang where it really did come from, so they can break it on down. So we've covered a lot. I mean, this season's been great. We're, you know, I'm trying to think what's up next. Maybe presidential terms, um, things like that. You know, a lot of the words that History Channel puts on there are probably words that, like, the average person under 40 might not even know. You know, like, but, like, in the presidential one, Roosevelt used to say, uh, bully for you, bully, the bully pulpit. You know, that's what the presidential president is called, the bully pulpit. You don't really hear that anymore. Right. But there was a time when that was in print on the New York Times front page every single day. Isn't it weird? And you must really get a a whole new look into that of the slang because I remember like it used to be a big term was see in the funny papers. You know, like people never see that anymore because no one one reads the funny paper. No one one looks at their newspaper anymore. So now, did did you ever do bars and restaurant ones? Oh yeah, bars are huge. I mean, bars are pretty much, there's so much from drinking, gambling, prostitution and crime. I mean, that we say. Now, do you know what, what this, and you might have, did they ever do the what 86 means? Yeah. Okay, what do you, yep. what, what's the I'm real? I'm trying to remember, but I think it had something to do with, you got, you know, obviously you get kicked out of a bar, but there was a bar in New York, and I think the address was like 86 
Stanton or something. I don't remember what it was. Some guy got kicked out of there. You have to understand, I did probably 4,000 phrases and words right. on the show. So oh, yeah, of course. Like, 86 was one, uh, you know, three sheets to the wind, fall off the wagon, um, a bender, simply just bending your elbows repeatedly, getting ha- getting hammered. I never knew that. I, I, I know that everyone knows the term bender, right. but I never knew that's what it came from. Yeah, pulling your legs is a good one. So, so I mean, that must be a fun – I mean, it seems like it must be a fun job, even though it's, you know – Oh, it's great. I mean, and to travel, I mean, do you, do you – the travel's fun. The jobs, it's uh, to be on a show on a channel that people actually go, Oh, what? Oh, okay, I'll watch that. Versus my, the rest of my career when I was like, Oh, yeah, I'm on, uh, you know, Versus or the Discovery Science Channel. People would go, Ah, oh, I, I, don't, I don't think I get that. <laughs> you know, it's nice to have people go, History, okay, wow. Now, <laughs> now you said you're doing the show, you did a show with Jamie? Jamie Kaler, who I just signed a baseball. Right under him. That's going to be worth some serious cash. It, I'm already selling on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie and I met through Bill Dwyer um, at one of his shows in Burbank once at Flappers. We went on stage as like a team playing a game together and hit it off. And then we both got cast as these like sort of Tosh.0 hosts on a CMT pilot um, called America, hashtag America. And basically, I mean, it'd be a great gig. It'd be him and I basically having fun every week doing sort of commentary on this week's crazy CMT programming, this week's embarrassing country music video. The fun thing about that pilot was they had me do my own original comedy song, and I did a country song kind of spoofing and parroting what's going on in the world of country today with this bro country revolution and all that. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't follow country, but I, I see like I see the commercials for like the awards and stuff, and it's yeah. and, like you see like uh, Keith Urban, you know, and I don't know, who's, who's one who's married to... It's like Keith Urban. Keith Urban, yeah. And you see him, and it's sort of like if you if you just give him a different guitar, he's Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like it's like you see this thing, and then like I remember country. I mean, even like when I was growing up, when when you know when Molly Hatchett and Leonard Skinner, I mean, they just looked bad, like the leather and the beers and oh, Gator Country. And now you look at it, and you go, these guys don't look like country anymore. Yeah, well, they got to appeal to you know. Now you got to be seen. Back then, you could just be on the radio, right? Molly Hatchett. Hey, I don't even know who she is. <laughs> yeah, you know. But she sounds great. Like, Keith Urban looks like Johnny Resnick because, you know, they have Meg Ryan haircuts or whatever it is. But it's like, <laughs> you know, nowadays you got to be a full package. You got to be on camera. You got to have your videos, you know. It's true. Now, would you ever try to pursue the music in that way? I, You know, I don't think my voice or my songwriting has anywhere suited towards Nashville country. But I would certainly love if somehow the music that I make became, you know, one of those things that I could tour behind in the in the spectrum of like the way you know Ryan Adams or Sunvolt or you know Tedeschi Trucks or you know I'm trying to think of all these country the Jayhawks old ninety sevens you know all these great bands that maybe not a lot of people know who don't really follow Americana music I think I you know I think my band is good enough to stay in that in that space. Now what, what's your band called ever, Zachariah and the Lobos Riders now how'd you get the name. You know, well, Zachariah was always my fake name after ESPN. <laughs> it's not my real name. So I had to, like, I, everyone would call me that when I was rapping as a young guy. That was, like, my stupid rap name. So I was like, oh, I'll keep that. And then the Lobos Riders, that's kind of funny. That's, like, my dad, when I was younger, when we lived in Arizona, we would go to this beach in Mexico called Puerto Lobos. And all the people who would drive down there were called the Lobos Riders. And I always thought that was such a badass name. Sound like a motorcycle gang, even though they were all Jewish doctors. Right. You know? <laughs> hey, Jeff, get on the CB. Should we stop and have some tacos? But I always love that, like, imagery of these, like, the you know, badass outlaws driving towards the border. Right. So I named it. I don't really love the name of my band. You know, I wish I would have just had something really simple, like, you know, who knows? Cactus. Cactus. That's taken. I Zach and the cactus. Zach and the cacti. Now, how did you? How did you? How do you put the band together? Because I mean, I always wonder how you meet guys. Because I've I had friends with the music. I'm friends with some musicians yeah. who, like my one friend Troy. Actually, I just I went to see Alice Cooper and Motley Crue, and he plays drums for the Raskins, who opened, and then wow. he he also plays for Gilby Clark. Yeah, okay. And he's a drummer, so he jumps around and around. But you know, that's just because he's older and he's been in the business for a long time. Yeah. But for you, how do you put the band together? Because you know, you're gonna. It's mostly your show. I'm right. guessing because it, it right. says Zachary right. and it's not called the you know so how do you find a band and do you is it hard are you very I particular have to credit my friend uh, David Fickus who uh, put me in a we were he, I went to college with him he's a director writer actor guy 
he and I would we were doing those sketch comedy shows that the one I told you about. In those shows, he had a band of his buddies from high school, all incredibly talented guys. A guy named Toby, a guy named Scott, named guy named Dan, and another guy named Scott. And so these four guys would play music. I knew a few of them through college, through just like parties. But this guy Dan, I was like, hey man, you're a really good guitar player. Would you ever be interested in helping me maybe come up with a song or two? So Dan Wistrom and I sit down one day and we wrote five songs in like a day. And I'm like, would you ever play live with me? He goes, of course, dude. He's a really nice guy. He actually made me believe I could write songs. And I was like, oh, wow. So him and I then recruited a bass player through my friend's band that had broken up, who I used to hang out with. And he liked country music. So I was like, dude, you want to have any interest in joining my band? He said, sure. So we had three. And then we needed a drummer. And so they, Dan recommended this guy, Scott, who he grew up with, who's a drummer. Now, this is the core of the Lobos Riders right here, these four guys. This is in 2001 or 2002, maybe. We formed this four-man band, and then we recorded a record. And I thought, oh, these would just be the session guys. But we ended up becoming best friends. We added our banjo player, Jim, about six months later when we met him. And he was just the nicest dude ever. And we're like, you're in our band. We don't care, you know. And so that was it. It came through again, coming here, going to USC, meeting people who knew people, who grew up with people, who had musical friends who I was just able to. Now Dan's my brother-in-law. He married my wife's sister. You know, I mean, that's just how it's a crazy world. Man. Now that, he's, on, he's on tour with Rich Robinson, of all people, of the Black Crows. Now, do you guys uh, play live gigs? Yeah. We're, we have a record release party, man. September 3rd, Hotel Cafe. Where's Hotel Cafe? 9 p.m. It's on Coenga. Okay. South of Hollywood. So do you enjoy, do you enjoy doing a lot? I mean, do you oh, enjoy I it? it? I mean, oh, do you, do you, is that that feeling? Because you're, you're singing and you're playing. And, and I also, you know, talking to the audience and doing stupid jokes it's kind of like my it's performance it's stand-up it's music it's sketch it's my soul coming out you know doing real songs all in one it's that instant performance set, you know gratification that you get the first time you were 14 years old and you stepped on stage and did uh studs turkles working at you know your summer school that feeling is something you never lose, I think, as a performer. I mean, you you know. Yeah. So it's like just getting out there is a really – and we played so much more when we were younger. Now everyone has kids, so it's a lot harder. How long of sets do you guys play? Did you play like About an, an hour? Okay. You and know, so now yeah. do you – I mean, who who picks this? I always wonder, who picks the song list? Like you sit there and you go, you see like like when the Rolling Stones play, you go, man, who picks right. it? And you look and you go, wait, and I'm a big Springsteen fan. And I sit yeah. there and I go, all right, well, it's cool when he plays his whole album, but then like, oh, this song I wouldn't play. You know, this song – who picks the song well, list I pretty much do it. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll write out a set list and then maybe have two or three extra songs on there and then if you're depending on the vibe you know we'll say hey should we go into this one and then the band will be like yeah you know that's it it's really not that confusing I mean, there are certain songs you know you got to start off with that hit hard you know that we just you learn over the years i guess and when you're playing what to start with and all that now are you like comics at the show do you sell the cds after do you, oh yeah 100 percent. now do, do a lot of people like, I, I would say if a lot of people and it's the one thing i noticed you know i don't go to live music enough but when you go out and you see live music you really enjoy it you know that's yeah. the thing and and it's a matter of some bands you've never heard of and i mean i went to a youtube cover band at the starlight ball nice but but the young dubliners opened up and they oh, yeah. just they just killed it and i was like if they were out after, I would have bought their CD. You know, because you you're not. I believe used to in the hustle, music. man. I'm all about the hustle. I walk around with my square on top of my phone. You know, I'm like, hey, man, want to buy a CD? And then everyone's like, I don't have any cash. I take cards. Right. <laughs> I'm like Harry Perry at Venice Beach, that like dude with the turban on and walks around with a guitar and annoys people on rollerblades. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'll tell you, man. I mean, you don't sell many CDs anymore. That that's sort of a dead industry. I mean, See, that's know. what sucks, man. I used to love. I've talked about. I used to love albums and just yeah. the, li the liner, oh, the liner art, and the things, so the liner much. notes. It's the one of the. I mean, that's why vinyl's coming back. You know, part of me wanted to print up my new record on vinyl, but it's so damn expensive. I was like, eh. Now we have about five minutes left. Are wow, you this is fast. This is fun, man. By Thanks. The way. I'm glad you like it. But we just—that's what I tell people. Just come in. We talk. That's yeah. all it is. Now, are you, are you acting? Are you are you doing regular acting right now too? Because I mean, it seems you have a very full plate with the guitaring <laughs> and the singing, and then you know, and the kids, of course. Yeah. The, and then the, the show, the hosting. I mean, what do you, do you I, get? You know, if night? I get acting jobs, I'm the happiest man alive. I don't really get a lot of acting auditions these days. Um, oddly enough, although I did do, you know, I mean, I've done like a sketch thing here and there. And uh, I've done a couple of Disney XD shows and things like that, you know, um, which is great. When I get those little parts, I get them. Unfortunately, I don't have that many opportunities. Well, what, what's immortalized? 
<laughs> no, because I just saw it and it says because it's it's under your acting credit. So Is I'm, it really? Yeah, but then oh. it says host slash himself. So I'm thinking, oh. you know, so the, it's it's what was that? Because it's it says TV series. Immortalized was a show on AMC that I hosted two, uh, a year and a half ago about taxidermy. It was about competitive I, tax. I remember. I I never. I you know it's funny. I think I checked into it. My my girlfriend found this thing called Viggle where you check into TV and you get all these points. Right. And, you, and I think I remember seeing it. I was like, that's that's very different. So so you hosted that? Wow. Now, the funny thing was this show, it was me as the main host. Then they had these two people competing against each other with their taxidermic art. And then they had Brian Posehn as one of the funny judges and then like two serious judges. And so Posehn and I turned it into like a one-on-one comedy duo. I mean, him and I were just going crazy. Jokes, 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 jokes. And it all got cut out because they needed to make it a serious show. And it was probably an hour-long show that got cut to a half hour. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was also a very interesting show. I don't know how competitive taxidermy didn't catch on with the world, but hey, <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> were, they, were, were they some really <laughs> eccentric people? Oh, yeah. Well, there's two different types of taxidermy in the world, which you learn. There's traditional, which is like, oh, I killed a deer and I mounted it. And then there's rogue taxidermy, which is like people who – Make a, they take someone's pet and turn it into a mercat, like a half, a half kitten, half mermaid with a dead, like, sea bass tail on the end, and display that. And they put jewelry and pierce the tongues of the animals. And it gets kind of freaky, man. I mean, it's a weird obsession. And I had a great time doing that show. I wish it you know, could have kept on. The best thing about that was that I got to go to, like, the Mad Men party. Oh, you yeah. went to that? Are, are, you, are you a Mad Men fan? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I like it, too. I think it's a great show. Yeah. Let me ask you something. If you, people, if you haven't seen this, you, you, did you see this last season? No, I have not, actually have not. Okay, then I can't. I, I, I was going to ask you a question what you thought, cause it, but it, it's no big deal. <laughs> but we only have a few minutes left. Uh, so so give us give us what everything, what, what's all coming up? What, what's the Lullbreaker? Lullbreaker was just a short film that I did uh, last year. So that one didn't really, that didn't, I didn't think it went very far, but it was fun, little drama. Are you still writing film and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I write, um, I write here and there. You know, I'm writing TV shows, TV ideas. But I had a, I don't know, I'm in a movie coming out in August called Cold Water. It's like limited release. It's a pretty serious drama. Um, I play a cop in that, which is fun. And then uh, I got my new record coming out. I'm excited about. Uh, now, do you'll sell that out. where? That'll be online. My website, you know, is the w- place to go for that stuff. What's Zach your website? Sel- ZachSelwyn.com. You got to spell it out because people. Z a c h. S E L W Y N dot com. See, it's crazy you have to spell these days because oh, people okay. don't know because Zach, they're so, especially in LA, there's so many oh. different ways. Like Zach could be like Z A C C Z A C, you know, right. check, like check. You know, and now do you tweet? Yeah, I'm, on, I'm Zach Selwyn on Twitter. Do you tweet a lot? There. You know, here and there. Jokes or just about what's going on? Jokes. Do you? Mainly. Jokes you, and what's going on. Like today, well, you know. Did you tweet today? I did. I tweeted about the guy who took me here in Uber. Oh, you took the Uber? I took Uber here, and this guy was so lost. And I was just like, this guy has this ne- the street knowledge of Los Angeles oh. that my four-year-old has. We went to the Starlight Balls. I said, I live in Burbank. Yeah. And, okay, we have an Uber guy pick us up because we're going to drink. There's a few of us. And I go, Starlight Ball. And the guy the guy pulls up. I live right. up there. And he, I'm like, he pulls her. I go, no, no, you got to go this way. No, no. I go, dude, Yeah. it's the Starlight Bowl. Okay, it, it's the, <laughs> I said, you know Castaways? No. I'm like, Castaways, like up the hill. And... They, yeah. I mean, you know, they're hiring anyone now, it seems like. I mean, I, I love Uber. It's probably saved me four DUIs but, uh, or more. But um, And it's cheap. It's cheap. I just wish, you know, sometimes they would have a little better knowledge. I don't know. Still, incredible. I hope it doesn't go away. I hope not either. And Lyft, know. there's also Lyft. Yeah, so. Lyft ain't bad. They're, they're, they're all right. They're all good. You get, you get the free discounts in the beginning. We went to San Francisco, and there was, uh, there was another one up there. But anyway, I want to thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks, man. I feel like you know we talked all about me. We didn't get into your, what you did. We don't talk. That's why I'm all the right. host. That's well, I hope we didn't bore anybody. <laughs> no, that's what you, you're the guest. I hope I didn't bore you. I, I, <laughs> no, it was anyway, quite fun. I want to thank you. And so go check them out, Zach.com, uh, ZachSelwin.com. Correct. And at Twitter, at ZachSelwin. There you go. Okay. And also, people, check me out. Uh, CooperTalk.net. I have about 270-so-odd episodes up there. Follow me on Twitter, at CooperTalk. If you have an Android device, you know, your, your, your phone, your tablet, go into the Google Play Store, type in CooperTalk, and you will find my app that has all my shows on it. Email me. I have a new email address, cooper.talk at yahoo.com. Send me an email. Tell me what you want to hear, who you want to hear. Uh, next week, 
for you older women, we I have a I have the, one of the original heartthrobs, uh, Gregory Harrison, Ooh. who is Doctor Gonzo Gates. Before there was McDreamy, there was Gonzo Gates. He'll be in here and a guest to be announced. I have to book someone. <laughs> I'm like booked for hey, all of August except next week. I can get you Lorenzo Lamas. I would love Lorenzo all right, Lamas. All right. All right. Well, cool. Anyway, people, that, that see that just made my day. Anyway, I want to thank Zach Selwyn. Uh, people, keep listening. Um, Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, take your uh, vitamins, eat your vegetables. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and it's time for me to go get lunch. <laughs>